So we are doing a series here in Loft on the life of David. Last week we looked at his anointing. This week we're going to look at a story, you may have heard of it. It's about a big man and a little man, and the big man loses. David and Goliath. Turn in your pew Bibles to page 227. We're going to be walking through this text together, and so it's going to be very helpful for you to have a Bible in your hands. Look around you, see if there's one there you can share with somebody. You're always welcome to bring your own Bibles here to Loft 2. If you yourself don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of these with you. Just uh, let me know where it came from so we can replace it. But you're always welcome to do that. 1 Samuel 17, page 227. Everybody got a Bible or close to it? Does anybody need a Bible? Is anybody just kind of hanging out and like we have no Bibles in our zone? We're good? Right there? Polly? Excellent. Now you're swimming. You're swimming in Bibles. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, you can applaud. That's good. Yeah. Yes. We are people of the book. The book defines us. You've got to be able to look at a book. Here we are, David and Goliath. Now the Philistines, that's the bad guys, gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah, so they're already entrenching, right? Because Judah's part of the family that we're, uh, that we're part of, the Israelites and the Judahs, they're on our team. And it camped between Sukkah and Azekah and Ephes Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, And Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So imagine these aren't like giant mountains. These are like hills. And you've got the people over here, all right? That's the Philistines. You've got the people over here. That's the Israelites. And you have about a mile and a half to two miles of kind of a rugged valley between them. And so they can see each other. They can hear each other pretty well. The acoustics are pretty good for this kind of thing. And there came out, verse 4, from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze, that's like um, turbo shin guards, all right? on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, that's big, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. All right, so what the author of the story is trying to tell us are two very clear things. One, he was big. Second, he was well-armed. He was very big. Six cubits and a span, probably around nine feet. And we could think, oh, that's hypothetical. That's, you know, that's an exaggeration. We didn't really know he was just big. But actually, archaeologists have found in the correspondence of some Egyptians around this time that they actually encountered a race that was between seven and nine feet tall. So there are extra biblical sources that say, yeah, there were some big people living in this place. Okay? So they wanted, the author wants to tell us he was big, he was well-armed, he had everything he needed to win a battle. He was loaded up. But then there's something that's a little bit more subtle in here. 
In Hebrew writing, numbers are very important. Numbers aren't always to be taken literally, though often they can be, but there's also often a symbolic dimension here. So if you're reading that his height was six cubits and a span, his weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, you have 656, which is very close to 666. And so the author is saying here, he was really bad. He was almost evil incarnate. In fact, there are some translations where all three of these numbers are the number six, 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 six. So the author is telling us, not only was he large, not only was he well-armed, but this guy was bad news. He was bad, evil, from the other side, from the dark place, just in case it wasn't clear. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up the battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, this is a very unique way of fighting. It's a very Greek way of fighting. Scholars believe that the Philistines actually were descendants from Greeks who had traveled down the seacoast and landed there and settled there. And those of you who study Greek or study Greek society, some classics majors in the house, anybody? Excellent, thank you. <laughs> Me too. Nerds unite. So. Those of us who, who study this stuff and look at this, in the Iliad, some of you may know, that Hec thank you, that Hector and Ajax kind of fight like this, right? Or maybe closer to home, if you've seen the movie Troy, okay, Brad Pitt like walks up, you know, send out your guy, and then he like totally kills him and drags him around, and it's very gruesome, right? But that's the idea. You send out your champion, and we'll send out our champion, and whichever champion wins, well, we know that that's it. That's good. It's, it's kind of like varsity tennis. Like, your number one goes against our number one, your number two goes, and then we'll just figure out who wins from there. So it's a very particular way of fighting, where the champion loads up, gets all dressed for battle, goes out and says, what do you got? And he insults them. He taunts them. Are you not servants of Saul? Like, come on, send somebody out here. Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yeah. Yeah, they were. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, some of you know your Bible stories well enough to know that when Saul was picked to be king, what was a distinguishing physical feature that he had? He was tall. In fact, he was head and shoulders above everybody else, it said. So when Goliath goes out there and he says, hey, you got somebody? You got a champion? Let's go. Bring him out. And they're all thinking, well, who's the, who's the tallest guy? King Saul. King Saul was the guy who had led them into battle. He had won battles. He had killed people. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. If there's somebody who's supposed to lead them in battle, it's supposed to be their king right now. And Saul and all of Israel, 
are dismayed and greatly afraid. This doesn't look good. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons, which if you were here last week, we know. In the days of Saul, the man, that's Jesse, was already old and advanced in years. The three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of the three sons who went with him to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and a third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So you have uh, the sons who go out to battle, very normal. This is probably about 14 or 15 miles away from Bethlehem. So he probably didn't go all the way to the front lines. He would probably get close enough to hear news and kind of circle back with his sheep back to Bethlehem. Now 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Remember that numbers always mean something significant, or usually do. 40. When you see the number 40 in the Bible, it means that we're, through, we're in a season of getting ready for something significant. 40 is like we're done, we've made it, and now, boom, something's going to happen. What are some examples of other things that took like 40 days? Or Noah, wandering in the desert, Jesus to uh, fast, right? Um, People flee and they're out in the wilderness for like 40 years or 40 days. 40 is big. 40 means we've gone through a time of trial and suffering and now something big is going to happen. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Something big is going to happen. Jesse said to his son David, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers And also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See how your brothers fare and bring some token from them. Now this was normal. Families would go and bring uh, goods and services to the people who are fighting on the front lines. Pretty normal. Take them the stuff. Jesse throws in something a little extra. Ten cheeses for the commander of the thousand. That's a little tip. Because cheese was a skill. It took a while to make cheese. It took time. It took effort. If you're going to give 10 of them to the commander of the thousand, what is Jesse saying to the guy who's in charge of where his sons go? Please don't send them to the front line. Yeah, yeah, give them some bread. But the cheese goes to their commander. And then bring some token back. So he wants some physical proof that David has seen his brothers. He wants an article of clothing. He wants a note. He wants something back that proves that his boys are okay. 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Edah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse has commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. 
All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The Israelites said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel, which means no taxes. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. David's eldest brother Eliab heard him talking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. Now what's going on here with Eliab? A little jealousy, perhaps, right? Because he's the oldest son. And he's already witnessed David getting anointed. Not him, the eldest son, the little guy. Remember that from last week? The little guy got anointed. And now the little guy's walking around asking everybody what's going to be done for the guy who kills him. Eliab's getting annoyed. You get everything. You're such a pain. And David, showing the true little brother within him, says, what have I done now? It was only a question. <laughs> Doesn't it just sound like a younger sibling? <laughs> David turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. Now, Saul, king, ruler, David, boy, shepherd, who really should speak first in this next conversation? David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He sounds like he's the grown-up and Saul is the little kid. Oh, don't worry your little heart about it. <laughs> don't you go fretting. It's going to be fine. I got it. I'll just take care of it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, as in like yesterday. <laughs> and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the draw, strike it down, and kill it. Actually, um, even though there aren't very many lions and bears in this particular area now, archaeologists have found that there were indeed a couple of types of lion and a type of bear that were in this region when David would have been fighting. So another evidence that what he's saying is true. 36. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said... The Lord, Yahweh, who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. Good luck. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he wasn't used to them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. And so Saul said, hey, could you bring the extra smalls in from the back? 
No, he doesn't, right? He doesn't say, hey, somebody get the other suit of armor. Because scholars believe that it's very likely that this was their only set of armor. The Philistines were the ones who had the great technology. They were the metal workers. They had been doing this for a long time. And people believe that it's not until um, in a few years when David goes and he kind of camps out with the Philistines for a little while and he kind of figures out their technology and brings it back that the Israelites were at a significant disadvantage. The Philistines had good technology. So this may have been the only set of armor in the camp. And Saul, after all, was tall. And David, after all, was not, didn't fit. So David removed them. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, put them in his shepherd bag, in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now remember, pay attention to numbers, right? Five smooth stones. Scholars wonder if this was um, him thinking ahead to... uh, This is my God, this is Yahweh, this is the God who I know about, and I know about him because of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this is my God, five stones. An act of confidence even in selecting his stones. And he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come on, come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the field and the wild animals of the field. He was insulted. He's like, I've been standing out here for 40 days. I've been getting the whole armor on with the headdress and the whole thing for 40 days, and this is what you send me, a kid with sticks? Are you kidding me? Y'all should be embarrassed. This isn't going to take any time. Just come on over here, little kid. Let's just get this over with. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down on the ground. What was the one part of Goliath that wasn't protected? That was it. Helmet, mail, shield bearer, even his shin guards. He was all set. The one spot on him that wasn't protected, right here. Now, in case you doubt that somebody with a slingshot could nail somebody at that distance and knock them down, 
Listen to this little story in Judges 20 about David's family group. On that day, the Benjamites mothered 26,000 armed men from their own towns. Of all this force, there were 700 picked men who were left-handed, everyone who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Everyone who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And it makes a point of saying left-handed because that really means that they were ambidextrous. It wasn't good to be left-handed. But it was good in, an, in a fight if you could sling around a rock this way or if you could sling around a rock this way. So David had been schooled by his cousins and his brothers and his uncles and probably his mom on how to sling a stone with both hands. So when this guy comes to him, why does David run toward him? Because he wants to get in range. He's like, I've got a rock and I know how to use it. <laughs> so he runs toward the Philistine. 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, actually a rock about the size of your fist. You can imagine that. That would definitely knock somebody out. Striking down the Philistine and killing him, there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him. And he cut off his head with it because he promised. <laughs> when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Yeah, they did, because they're thinking, that little kid came out here and beat our champion. Imagine what the grown-ups could do. We're out of here. <laughs> they flee. They run. They run. They run. They are scared out of their minds. The troops of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout. Let's shout. The troops of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout. Yes, and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. That's a long way. So that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'araim as far as Gath and Ekron. The Israelites came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, I am a big wimp. No. <laughs> he said to Abner, Abner, whose son is this young man? Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. The king said, inquire whose son the stripling is. And David's return from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. This is the word of the Lord. So what's your giant? You're standing on a hill, looking out into a valley, and there's something there that's big and well-armed and taunting you. You don't belong in college, it says. I can't believe you're here. You'll never find friends. 
You can't even make it through the first two weeks of the engineering class. How do you think you're going to graduate with the major? No, no, no. The pain that you carry is much too great, so please just continue to cut yourself to let it out because that's it. Keep doing that. That's good. That pornography thing, you're never going to beat it. So just stop feeling guilty about it already, would you? You went on Street Fest this year, last year, the year before, maybe the year before that, and you were witness. You saw the social injustice. You saw the impact that it has in the world. But don't think you can do anything about it because it's big and you're small. Oh, Calvin College, you're looking for a new president in the middle of an economic downturn, at a time when the college is trying to figure out its vision for the next 5, 10, 15, 100 years. You really think you're going to find somebody who can inspire you and bring leadership? Yeah, good luck. God may have brought you through this far, but this chapter in your life it's going to be a lot harder, so don't go looking to him for help. What's your giant? It doesn't take us very long until we really understand why King Saul was dismayed and greatly afraid. Because if your giant's coming at you every morning and every night, and telling you that you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. You can't break this addiction. Your parents' marriage, you can't heal it. Nothing good is going to come your way. You will never find love. If your giant is standing before you every morning and every evening and sometimes right in the middle of the day and taunting you and telling you all the ways in which it defies you, pretty easy to see how you can get dismayed and greatly afraid. And that's why it's so amazing that David just steps into this story. He steps into the story and he says, no. No, I'm sorry, no. What is he saying? What is he saying about our God, what is he saying? No, 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 no. I don't think so. This is not going to play here. He's standing against the armies of the living God. And did you notice in the text that he is the first one to name Yahweh Lord? He's talking about the bears and the lions and tigers, oh my, and how he killed them. But what he ends the paragraph by saying is, the Lord delivered me from the hand of the lion and the hand of the bear. Yahweh delivered me, and Yahweh is going to deliver me from this Philistine. Do you remember when he was anointed last week, and we read that the Holy Spirit came mightily upon him? That's what we see in David, a sense of the spiritual realities of the situation. Later, we'll read that he was called a man after God's own heart. And I think it's because he had this ability to see the reality, to see what was really happening, to see that this was about the enemies of God and God himself. And he said, well, in that battle, 
The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to Yahweh. David had this ability to step into the situation and be audacious because his audacity wasn't based on his skill as a sling with a sling. It was based on Yahweh the Lord. Five smooth stones, he says. Five books that tell the story of God and God's people. I'm putting my money there, he says. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts. David steps up and sees the giant and says, no. Don't you wish you had a David? Who could like walk with you and then sit with you in class and then when you have this moment where you're like, I'm never going to get this, I don't understand. He's like, no, 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 no. You can get a tutor. You can do this. We will not be beaten. When you're in the dining hall and you're doing the whole thing about, I don't really know what I should eat, I really don't know, I'm putting on so much weight and I'm really looking really fat now. And he's like, no, 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 we don't allow that talk here. No, no, no. You are healthy, you are beautiful, God loves you. Have a salad. <laughs> and then have a cookie. All evens out. It's late at night, you're the only one awake. You know that your friends right now are doing that online gaming thing. And by friends, I mean people you never met who have computers. And you're thinking, this would be, oh, just let off some steam, you know, it's not a big risk, it's not, and David, no, no, I'm, no, I'm sorry, we defy um, using the gifts that God has given us to just like gamble with, no, 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 look, shut the laptop down and let's go to bed. Wouldn't it be great if you had a David? You know you do, right? The son of David. The son of God. Jesus. Jesus Christ stands against the enemy and not somebody who's close to the enemy, not 656, but actually 666, stands up against the forces of darkness, stands against Satan himself and says, no, these are my people. You can't touch them. When he sends the disciples out two by two, to witness and to heal and to preach about the kingdom of God and they come back. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus knows where the real battle is. This is why in the Gospel of Mark, every time he confronts, he has some big, wonderful success story. He calls the demons, he heals somebody, he calls the disciples, he heals somebody. Right after his big success, boom, there's a demon that shows up. Every time. Because Jesus knows, as Paul wrote, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against the authorities, the rulers, the principalities, and the powers. And so Jesus says, put on the armor and not some heavy mail and not some big javelin. Put on the armor of God, salvation as a helmet. You are saved. This is your identity. This is who you are, saved. Righteousness as a blessed plate. You are righteous because of Jesus Christ. Your sins are washed away. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The belt of truth, which reminds you again and again who you are. And your feet fitted with anything that makes you ready to proclaim the gospel. Jesus wants to come into your life and stand with you against your giant. More than that. Did you notice in the text that God doesn't say to David, well, just go talk nicely to him and he'll just walk away. Just, you know, just go say, hey, we're really not interested. You know, just, no. Does he say just like walk up to him and knock him out and then like the people will drag him off and you'll, no. What does David do to the giant? He cut his head off. Jesus doesn't want to sit by while we're messing up and when we're trying to figure out what our life is going to be and are we going to trust him or are we not. Jesus doesn't want to like stand there and be like, you know, that giant's over there. I, you know I mean? I don't know, I could stand here. No, Jesus is like, let me kill the giant. Let me kill the giant. You can have a victorious life because the biggest giant of all has already been killed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus Christ has risen victorious from the grave. He does not live in fear of anything. And he's on our side. He's on your side. And he wants to kill some giants. So what's the giant you need him to kill? Where do you need to stand up for what's right? Where do you need to have courage? Maybe for some of you, you need to have the courage to witness to somebody else about the victorious life that is yours in Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you, it's time to take the step of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you it's time to get some help and say, I have the courage today to stand up and say that I need tutoring. I need to go to the Bruni Center. I need to move out of my house because the people that I'm living with are not drawing me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus going to show up? for you. We invite you to be courageous. If you want to stand today and say, either the battle is the Lord's in this area of my life and I surrender it to him, or you want to say, I claim Jesus as Lord and Savior and I claim courage. If you just want to say, I need help, 
and I'm going to ask for it 